Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. Happy Easter. It's good to see you all. Um, so Barna Research recently did a survey, and they asked a, a, a segment of Americans uh, across the spectrum of faith, and they asked them this question, what are you looking most for when it comes to your spiritual convictions? What are you looking for in your faith? Uh, this was asked of uh, Americans who are Christians, Americans who would say they have no other faith, they have no faith, and other Americans who said they have a different faith other than Christianity. All of them had two top answers that was all shared among every person who was asked. The, the top two desires, that, the things that they look for when it comes to their faith, number one is inner peace, inner peace, and number two is hope. Because if you think about it, like obviously uh, we, when you look at the world and the lives that we oftentimes live, it usually means that those are the two things that we are left wanting more of. We, we deal with all kinds of stressful things, and so we want inner peace. We deal with uh, you know headlines that we look at from the news, and we see what the future is, and we would really like to have some more hope. And this world is not offering us those inner peace things and hope things, and so. We are left wanting more, so we look up and we are hoping that we can find that in our relationship with God. And for many of you, that is, uh, you've found that in your relationship with Jesus. But, if, but we live in a time, and, and maybe you resonate with this because you know someone who is this way, or maybe you are the person who comes to mind for someone else because you are this way. See, we have uh, a lot of people who go to worry in the same way that uh, those who are addicted to drugs go to drugs. That w Whatever it is that's going on, like we are worried about something. And, and, and I know this to be true in my life because um, have you ever gotten to this point in your life? Maybe you've been in a season of worry, a lot of stressful things, and you get to a point where you don't feel like you're don't really not worried about anything right now. And you then you get worried that, did I forget something? You know, like because there's always something to worry about. You ever gotten to that point where you just like, okay, uh, what, what's going on? I, I, I feel like peace. I must have forgotten something. And, and then Jesus comes along and, you know, you've ever, you've ever had those moments where you come to a friend and you're just sharing your heart and what you're worried about and what you're um, just stressed out about. And, and they just tell you something like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. You ever had that friend who just, ah, I'm, I'm so worried about all these things. And, and they just say, well, stop, <laughs> right? Like, just stop it. Don't Worry about your life. And, and, you know, if Jesus said that to you, like maybe these are the things that you'd be thinking of because, you know, you might not say it to him because he's Jesus, but you'd be thinking of it in your head, but he would know that because he's Jesus. Um, but like, well, Jesus, hold on. You don't know what my life is like. Well, what if, what if the money, you know, at the end of the month, there's more month than money? Like what, what happens then, Jesus? Like what if, what if something happens? What if I don't get that raise? What if, what if we lose our job? What if the future really is as bleak as the headlines show us? Like what if, what if, what if, what if that's going on? What if, what if I lose my job? Like what happens then, Jesus? Like I'm worried about it. What happens if this relationship doesn't get healed? What happens then? 
Jesus, like, what happens if this relationship uh, continues to be stagnant? What happens? What happens if I get this health diagnosis? Because I'm waiting for the results, and what if I do? And then what happens then? And then and then and then I go down this road and down this trail. What happens if I have to change? What happens if something in my life changes? What happens if someone passes away? Or what happens if this loneliness that I've been feeling in the season continues on and on and on into the future and doesn't become a season? It just becomes how my life is. What happens if I fail? Like, I, I, God, I, I know you, you called me to this, but what if, I, what if I drop the ball? What if I fail? What happens then? What if, what if I get rejected? I know you're telling me to like, do this, but what if I get rejected? And, and then for all of us, if we get to a point in our lives where we have a little bit of time to just reflect and, and actually come to terms with what life really is, um, and, and we kind of get past this facade that we've created and this barrier we've created around our heart so that we would avoid thinking about this, but what happens? What about, what about, what about death, Jesus? Like, what, what, what about death? You know, there, there's a lot of things that we could point to to be worried about in our lives. Um, and, but but the, the problem is that, that there's one thing that is the root cause, the root issue when it comes to the sources of our worry and the sources of our fear. And here's the thing. I'm going to tell you the truth today because I love you enough to tell you the truth. Um, I'm not going to just uh, leave you with just this hopeful message that, that is r- devoid of any kind of bad news because uh, the good news is even sweeter when you got the bad news that came before it and the good news is even better once you know it, right? Um, so here's the thing. At the root cause, the root issue of all of our worries, of all of our fears, of all of our struggles, of all of our strife, of all, all of our conflict, of all of the things that you see on the news, of all of the reasons why people kill people and hurt people and hate people, the root issue... For all of us, is sin. And I know you're like you're in church, so you would expect the preacher to say that. But like this is really it really is that really is the root issue. And one of my uh, late professors, he he recently passed away, uh, but he was very bright, very smart, um, and he he called this the the double curse of sin. See, sin presents to us as human beings two root issues, and the first one is that sin makes us guilty. See, we. We believe, and, and I believe this is true, is why I believe it, is that God exists um, and he is creator, all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-knowing, and he has created us to glorify him. But when we sin, we are doing something that is against God. And when we sin, it makes us guilty. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in trouble with the law, you probably aren't living a super worry-free life. But, th- but this is what all of us walk around with apart from Jesus. Sin makes us guilty. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Which means that uh, all of us have been subject to sin. All of us are liable to sin's punishment. Because not, it's not just that you're guilty, but it's that you're liable to pay the judgment. To pay the penalty for your sins. And you know, it's, this is even true for all the people that you see in your life that they got their life figured out. Like they, they look like they've got it going on. You know, they're all that and the bag of chips, right? Like they, they're in the nice ones, not the, not generic. You know, they're the ruffles, right? Um, and they ruffle your feathers. <laughs> that was funny. Um, for me anyway. Um, and so like there, it's all of us. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God and are guilty before God, who is holy, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, says, the, For the wages of sin 
is death. For the wages of sin is death. And so, like, here's the thing. When we were first created, Adam and Eve, on this earth, death and sin were not a part of the, the plan. We were not supposed to die. That's why when, when you go to a funeral and, and you are confronted with uh, the, the, the fact that all of us, you know, none of us are getting out of this thing alive. When you're confronted with that fact, it's the reason why death feels so weird. Death doesn't feel natural. It's because we were created with eternity in our hearts, with this desire and this knowing that we were meant for something more. But sin came in and that is what brought Death, and it's what brings disease and strife and conflict and frustration and all of your mess-ups. You know, you, the fact is, like, each and every one of us, you are the common denominator in all of your worst mistakes, all of your worst decisions. You are a part of it. So we can't blame somebody else for it, you know? Like, it's what we do with, as parents, right? The kids, they do something, and we saw them do it, and we're like, hey, why did you do that? Well, I didn't do it. It wasn't me, it was the, you know, I've got four kids. So they've got their pick at who they're going to blame. You know, it was, it was my brother, it was my sister, it was one of the twins. I don't remember which one it was. I can't remember who it was, but it was one of them, you know. We have to remind them, no, no, it was, it was you. It was, it was you, you're, you're the one who did it. And, you know, that's the thing about God is he's all knowing. So even the things that we thought we could keep from him, he already knows about them. Anybody ever have this moment where, like, you have a really, really bad dream where, like, in the dream, you ruined your whole life. And it's vivid. And you're like, in the dream, you're like, this is happening. This is, this is terrible. Why did I make this decision? You know, it's a decision that's going to send you to jail for the rest of your life. You're not going to be able to see your kids. You're not going to be able to see, see your spouse if you're married. Like, you're not going to be able to see any of your loved ones, your friends, or anything. Like, you're just going to be in prison the rest of your life. Have you ever had a dream like that? Anybody? Anybody? And then, what's the most glorious thing that happens? You wake up, and you're like, oh, thank Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> it was just a dream. And then you're, like, scared for the rest of the day, but you're just, like, on the, on the lookout. Well, here's the thing when it comes to our sin. It's like a bad dream, only the problem is it's no dream. That we are, in fact, that guilty before God and required to pay the penalty for what we've done. And the first curse of sin is like this. I'm in trouble with the law. Like that's the reality that we all are in apart from Jesus. If I, maybe if I called this sermon, I'm a preacher and I'm in trouble with the law. Maybe that would get more people to show up. I don't know. <laughs> like I want to know what did he do? And all of you would have theories. If you know me, you would have theories of what I would do. And don't tell me what the theories are, okay? I'm interested. Curse number two. So curse number one is that sin makes us guilty. Curse number two is that sin gives us a sinful nature. Gives us a sinful nature. Have you ever been in a situation where, like, you kind of just got in a rut in life and you keep doing the thing that you would like to avoid, but then you keep doing it and doing it and doing it, and you're just like, what is wrong with me? Why am I doing this? Why am I worried about this once again? And I just know that it's not something that I can do anything about, but here I am, worried out of my mind, frustrated out of my mind. Have you ever been there? Just me? Cool. All right. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. 
The, the second curse of sin is that sin gives us a sinful nature in that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian Christians who have already surrendered their life to Jesus, but he's saying, hey, don't you remember back then in your life when you were subject to sin in such a way where you were spiritually dead? Like even if you wanted to follow Jesus, you just couldn't because you were just so enraptured by your own sin. It's why we do the things that we wish we wouldn't do. It's why we do them. It's because we have a sinful nature. See, no matter how optimized your life is, no matter how many self-help books you read, no matter how many stoicism books and, and meditation, mindfulness things that you try, if, if you are living apart from Jesus, you'll always have an insufficient hope. You'll always have an insufficient peace. Because here's the truth about peace and about hope that all of us would deeply desire to have. If the source of your peace and the source of your hope, the reason for your peace, the reason for your hope, is not powerful enough to deal with the sources of your worry and the sources of your fear and the source of your, the big problem, the source of your sin then you will always have an insufficient peace and an insufficient hope. It will always be fragile. It will always be just waiting for the next shoe to drop. And so if, if your uh, hope and your peace is not coming from someone who can actually deal with the root issue, then you're always going to have something going on. You're going to realize that you're in trouble with the law and... You have a fatal disease. That professor I told you about, Dr. Jack Cottrell, he said this, the sinner's double curse, the sinner's double curse includes two distinct kinds of trouble. He is like a man walking around deep in debt beyond his wildest imagination with a body filled with cancer. He owes God the debt of eternal punishment and his soul is dead in trespasses and sins. See, when I was 19, um, I, I was on a journey. I was reading a lot of books that I had never read, a lot of like self-help books and a lot of leadership books. And I was really trying to get my life kind of in a direction that I would be proud of. And I was just working on that and learning and trying to just do everything that I could to try and make myself into a better person. And what I found was there was still, no matter how many books I read, no matter how many things I tried, no matter how many strategies I implemented, there was still something deeply wrong inside of me that I myself could not fix, that I myself could not deal with. It was far beyond what I could do anything about. But it wasn't until I heard about uh, this message about Jesus that it changed my life, because while sin presents a double curse to each and every one of us, grace is also a double cure to deal with the root issue of the very things that cause us to worry, to cause us to fear, that cause us to sin, that cause us to slight the God who loves us and created us. See, Jesus came to give us the opportunity to go from guilty to forgiven. And that's why we as followers of Jesus and why you're here today, like that's why we celebrate on Easter. It wasn't just a fun day to get dressed up and, you know, some of you almost fainted when you saw me with a tie on a Sunday. I know. Yeah, I get it. Uh, but it's, it's something more than that. It's a reason to rejoice. And here's why. Cure number one of grace. And grace is what Jesus accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection. It's the grace of justification. 
That's a big church word, and I'll explain it. The grace of justification. Justification is a like a legal term that when you go into the into the uh, law, into the court system, into the courthouse, and you are before the judge, if you are guilty by sin, right, because you did the crime and you are then liable to pay the price, uh, if you are guilty, then the, the judge, if he's a good judge, is going to say you're guilty and sentence you to whatever your sentencing is, right? But justification is the idea that when Jesus went to the cross, he took on on his body, all of your sin, past, present, and future, and he nailed it to himself on that cross, and then he endured the wrath of God, which is the penalty for sin. He endured it infinitely, eternally, on your behalf, so that when you go before the throne room in heaven, and you are put in the judgment seat before God, he will declare to you, no penalty for you, because you are justified This is what Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, I read 23 earlier. This is what the rest of that verse says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. But the good news is they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. For any of you who have ever paid off an exorbitant amount of debt. And you you know what it's like to live under that debt. That financial debt where you got to pay it, you got to pay it, you got to pay it. You seem to not be making any progress on the, because the interest is too high and the principal payment won't go down enough. And you just know what it's like to just feel like you're working for someone else and not being able to make any progress. The fact is that when we sin, we are guilty and we also have incurred a debt that is beyond our ability to pay. The principle's too high, the, the interest rate's too high that we could not possibly pay it. But the good news is, is that God loved us enough to send Jesus, who Jesus is infinitely able to pay the penalty for your sin on your behalf. And he was willing to, and not just that he had good intentions, but he did it. He nailed your sin to the cross. And that is why we celebrate today. When you come before the throne room in heaven, there will be declared, if you are in Jesus, you surrender to him, no penalty for you. That is really good news. See, the cure number two is is not just that it makes you not guilty, but it's the grace of regeneration and sanctification that Jesus saw you in your sinful nature and he decided to regenerate you, remake you, into a new person, and then sanctify you. It's another church word, which means help you become more holy. Help you be more like Jesus. And it was on the cross and in the resurrection that he made it possible for him to do that for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Y'all, for any of you who have had a past, and you've done some stuff that you're not proud of, that you've lived a life that you know is far from God, and by the way, that's all of us, this kind of news is really good. Because no longer am I going to be defined by my prior actions and my sins, but I'm going to be defined by the love of God who decided to take on all of our mess-ups 
and make a way for us to be in his presence forever. If, you, if you've lived a sinful life before, then, then this, this is my first, like two, two of my favorite verses in Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 1, 9 through 10. This is really good news, and this is what's on the table for any and all of us who would respond to him. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. You don't get saved because you're a good person. Please, please throw that lie in the grave of all of your prior beliefs that you recognize were lies. You do not get saved by your own good deeds because you're not that good. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished Death, that's a good word. Who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is, this is the hope that we have. That when Jesus went to the cross, he bore all of our sins. That stuff that you've been trying to outrun in your life. That stuff you've been trying to fix about in your own world. The, the things that, are, that bother you about you. When you look in the mirror, you're just like, I wish you wouldn't do that to me. I wish you would just... Get it, get a grip and like stop doing those things. I wish you would stop being so mean with people. I wish you would stop being so bitter with people. I wish you would stop being so hurtful to people. I wish that didn't happen to me back in the day. I wish this isn't happening right now. All of those things. Listen, Jesus took all of that stuff on his back, died for you. And then when he went into the grave on a Friday, Saturday was a really bleak day for his followers because they just thought he was dead. And that was the end of the story. But what was happening is Jesus decided that he needed to get real close to the enemy, and that is death, which is brought, up, brought about by sin. So when Jesus went into the grave, he got real close to death because he was in death called Hades. So he was in death, and if you, any like, uh, any like M, anyone like MMA, UFC, that kind of stuff, just go ahead and put your hand up. It's fine. I, I'm putting my hand up. Okay, cool. So... Uh, those of you, it's too violent. Well, just be grateful that Jesus got violent with death, okay? Because Jesus went down into death and put death in a chokehold and defeated him. Jesus didn't tap when he died. Death tapped because it couldn't hold him any longer. Which means that your sin was left in the grave. No longer to be carried by you. But it was left there in the grave. This is what Acts chapter 2 verse 24 says. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. It was not possible for death to hold on to Jesus. So if you ever are living life and you're worried about what happens when you die, understand if you are with Jesus, then you are with the one whom death could not defeat. Because death was laid in the grave once and for all where it belongs. And when you die, you will still be alive because Jesus has given you his life. Because on the third day, on Sunday, y'all, they got to the tomb and guess what? Jesus said, peace out. And he left and he was appeared to 500 eyewitnesses uh, over the course of 40 days. And people saw Jesus crucified. They were now seeing him walking around. And the significance of that is that the same way that Jesus was raised to life is the same way you're raised to life by the Holy Spirit who's given to you as a gift when you surrender to Jesus. So all of the sources of our worry, all of the sources of our 
fear, they are extinguished. They can be dealt with if you trust Jesus with them. And this is, this is a, a, a struggle for Christians as it is a struggle for non-Christians because it's not just that you surrender to him one day and you trust him one day. It's every day. It's every day. When you surrender to Jesus, you are giving him your very life and trusting him with it. See, friends, not only does sin give us a sinful nature, but we are enslaved to it. And we need someone to rescue us. I would imagine that the, the, one of the most stressful situations any of us could ever be in is in a hostage situation, right? Probably most of us, maybe none of us, have been in a physical hostage situation, but I would imagine that would be really stressful. I was uh, robbed uh, at work one time at gunpoint, and that was not fun. I can only imagine being stuck in a room with someone who might, you know, obviously they got a few screws loose, they're very desperate, so they might pop off on someone. You know, you've probably seen the shows or the movies. You're in the bank, and, you know, this was back when we went into the banks more often, right? Um, because there's a bunch of people there, and they go in, they're going to rob the bank, and they need a little bit more time because the cops showed up already, and they got to do a hostage situation. Here's the good news. Um, the bad news is that in our spiritual lives that we are enslaved to sin, we are kidnapped in the kidnapper's lair, and that is the devil and in, uh, in, in Hades where he holds us. But the good news is that Jesus is the one who is able to come in and defeat the kidnapper and rescue us. And this is what he did. He, he gave each and every person. He's not going to coerce you. He's given each and every person in this room around the world an opportunity. Do you want to be freed? Do you want to be freed from that which has enslaved you? Do you want to be freed from that which has put shackles on you? And here's the thing. Here, here's what's true, because I've been doing this long enough to know. That, that some of us will say, yes, Jesus, thank you, and follow him out to freedom. And others of us, we're, we're like the, you know, the beauty, like Belle on Beauty and the Beast, suffering from some Stockholm Syndrome. We've fallen in love with our kidnapper. I'm sorry if you've just now made that connection to Beauty and the Beast. It's, it's there, okay? Um, but we've fallen in love with the Beast. We're like, I like it here. Some of us have suffered for so long that we only feel at home when we're suffering. Some of us have felt uh, so much anxiety and depression that it is only in those spaces where we feel normal. And that is a lie from the pit of hell because that is not what you are meant to live in. God has rescued you and given you an opportunity to follow him out to freedom. And this is what I would just propose to you. Let the reality of the empty tomb empty you of fear and worry. Let the reality of the empty tomb empty you of fear and worry. See, Jesus' death and resurrection means this. It means that you are guilty and loved. That he defeated death and the devil. He paid for your sin. He left death in the grave. He released Satan's captives, of which all of us have been or are. When you surrender to Jesus, the crucified and risen king, this is what happens. Your sin no longer enslaves you. Your failures don't get the final say. God's grace does. Death has been defeated, so that means you get to live forever. Disease doesn't get the final diagnosis. The great physician does. The healer does. Your pain won't last forever. Your trauma will be transformed into peace. Your mourning will be turned into dancing. Your fear will give way to trust. Your mind is renewed. Instead of entrapped in despair, you are giving a new vision. Here's the problem, though. 
even as Christians, many of you are, we still deal with worry. We still deal with fear. We still deal with this. And we're going to be digging into this in a great detail over the next five weeks. So if you're not planning on it, I would encourage you to change your plans and plan on being with us over the next five weeks as we talk about what to do with worry. Because even when we surrender to Jesus and give him our life and give him our concerns and give him our sin, we can still go back to those things that we are worried about. We can go, still go back to those things that we're trying to fix and trying to reframe. You know, this last couple of weeks, we've had some opportunities to test our tornado readiness, right? Yeah. The first one uh, was in the middle of the night. And uh, some of you may not have woken up, you know, because it was in the middle of the night and you're a heavy sleeper. But I somehow woke up and, you know, in earshot of the siren. And so the siren's going off and Sarah and I are like, you know, woke up from our days and like, oh, that's we should get the kids. So I went and got the boys. I didn't even bother waking them up. Just picked them up, carried them downstairs. We don't have a basement. We just on slabs. So we were in the, our little half bathroom uh, on the main floor in the middle of our house, just hanging out while this tornado warning was coming. And, you know, I grew up in Indiana, so I know the deal with this stuff. Like, most of the time, it's like, whatever, right? Uh, sometimes, though, it's, it actually hits. And so, like, I, we're in there with the kids, and they're trying to explain to the, to the kids what's going on, especially the girls, because they're old enough to really, like, ask questions and understand what's going on. And, um, you know, we got past the tornado warning. I checked and, you know, all that stuff. And, so they were like, okay, well, it's, it's time to go to bed now. It's time to go back to bed. And, you know, for a kid, they're like, well, hold on. <laughs> you know, you were saying this crazy stuff is going on possibly. I don't want to go to bed. And so my oldest was like, daddy, um, what, if, what if it comes back? Like, what if the storm comes back? Uh, shouldn't I stay awake? And I said, no, honey, you don't, you don't need to worry about that. If anything changes, I'll come and get you. You know, because as a kid, like we all have this, you know, as kids, we have, we have this innate instinct to go to our parents for safety because they're our source of safety to go to them. And, and we, we, we just know that there's as kids, like there's a lot of stuff we don't understand. There's a lot of stuff in this life that we just don't know what to do with. But then we grow up and we get to be adults and we're like, well, I know how to tie a tie. I can figure this out. You know, uh, I got this worked out. Um, and, and so we, what we end up doing is instead of continuing that pattern of taking our concerns and our worries and our fears to our Father, we end up playing God in our own lives, and that's when we get the most worried. When we take all these things, and we, you know, we've done all that we can do about it, but then we're, we're still going back to it, like, what do I do? What do I do? What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? And we're trying to get, to, get ourselves to a point where we are omniscient, where we are all-knowing. And, and friend, like, you're not. You're not. And, and the reason why a lot of us are worried out of our minds is because we are trying to carry that which we're not meant to carry. You know, when we're like, oh, God, like, what if, what if the money doesn't come? What if the future is just crazy? What if, what if I lose my job? What if I, this relationship, what if, what about the health? What about the change? What about the loneliness? What about, what about this? What if this, and then this, and then this, and my mind's hyperactive. Like I, I, I think all the time, like people say men have a nothing box. I don't, I haven't found it yet. You know, my brain's always going. And so I'm certainly uh, guilty of worrying way too much and trying to carry more than I'm supposed to be able to carry. 
And so I'm, I'm like many of you, like, okay, well, what if this happens? If this happens, then that leads to this, or it could lead to that, or that could lead to this, and then this could do that. And then I, before I know it, I'm down the anxiety spiral. And all of a sudden, I'm dizzy, and I don't know what, where, where up is anymore. And maybe you're like that, too. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, and you still deal with worry. That's, that's normal, but, but Jesus says, therefore, <laughs> don't worry about your life. Why? Why does he say that? It's because if you've given your life to him, then your life is his to worry about. So, so just some practical things. What do you do when you're worrying? Well, I think a lot of us, and we're going to be digging into very more practical things over the course of the next five weeks, but a lot of us need to question our worries. We need to question our worries. Put it on the table, start questioning it. You can pretend to be the detective and you sit across the table and say, I got to talk to you. Where were you on that day? You know, like that kind of thing. You interrogate it. Why are you here? Why, why am I worried? And then you ask the question, well, have I done what I can do about this thing that is in front of me? Have I done it? Have I done what I can do? Okay. If, I, if the answer is yes, then we go on to the next question. If, if it's not, if we haven't done what we can do, then we probably have some things that we can do about it. But then we have to ask our question, okay, if I've done everything that I can and I'm still worried about this, is this mine to carry? Is this mine to carry? See, the devil wants you to believe that everything in your life is yours to carry. God wants to give you freedom and say, hey, uh, just so you know, that, that sin in your life, I dealt with that. That concern in your life, I've dealt with that. That future you're afraid of, I'm already there. You don't have to fret about it. I'm there. So why am I worried? Have I done what I can do about it? Is this mine to carry? And then ask yourself, this is a beautiful, beautiful question. What do I know to be true? What do I know to be true right now? And then you go with that. What do I know to be true? Well, I know that God's on the throne. I know that I've done everything that I can do about it. I know that I can't change someone else if they're mad at me or whatever. I know that I can't like, you know, if, if I lose my job, well, I, I can't, I can't make anyone hire me right away, but I can at least do what I can do. Put my resume out there, whatever. Like what, what is, what do I know to be true? And you go with that. And one of the gifts that God has given us is the ability to think better thoughts. Paul talking to the Philippian Christians said this in Philippians chapter four, verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. A lot of us, we've got some ugly thoughts. And if if our thoughts were a diet, it'd be real bad. Not healthy at all. And God has made a way for us to start to allow him to renew our minds, but it takes work. This is not one of those things where you surrender to Jesus and all of a sudden, you're like the happiest person ever. No, you still may be going through some of your deep valleys in your future as a follower of Jesus. But guess what God said about the valley of the shadow of death? You don't have to fear any evil. Why? Because he is with me. He's with you. So maybe, you know, walking out of this, if you're a follower of Jesus, then, you know, maybe, maybe you just need to make it a habit of doing some gratitude journaling. I know as simple as that, like, what do you, what has God done in your life that you can thank him for? Um, 
and, and start looking at your life and looking at your past and looking at your present and looking at the future through the lens of the goodness of God. Talk about something that is powerful to reframe your life around. If God is actually working out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, then that means there's meaning in your past. There's redemption from your past. There's redemption in your present and there's redemption for your future. If you look at things through the lens of the goodness of God, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, think about those things. So this week, um, for some of you, like you are still plagued by the ultimate source of your worry and your fears and the problems of this world, and that is your sin. You've been trying to carry it, and Jesus is coming to you and saying, hey, I'm willing to carry it, and by the way, I can do it better than you. Some of us are trying to carry our sins too much, carry our guilt, carry our shame. When Jesus is opened his hands quite literally and said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, you need to be reminded of that maybe. And maybe you need to do some more proactive work of reframing the thoughts that you're having around the goodness of God and around the victory of God and around the fact that he loves you so very much. And maybe some of you need to get into counseling and, and do the work. You know, your, your, your brain is part of your body. We, we go to the gym and we work out our body, but we leave our brain just suffering all of these thoughts that we've just gotten used to thinking and thinking it's just going to be okay and go away with enough time. And God's given us a gift, and that is a renewed mind. And some of us just need to be walked through that. I would argue all of us do. So whatever it is that you're trying to carry, I would encourage you today, make the decision. Surrender it to him and let him carry it. Church, would you stand? We're going to pray. King Jesus, you are victorious and we are grateful for that. That is the reason why we're all here. Um, God, I pray that as we sing and praise to you, that you would hear our worship and it would be pleasing to your ears, whether or not we can hit a tune or not. Um, God, I pray that as we go about our day, that you would not leave us uh, where we are, but you would bring us to where you want us to be. God, nudge us, prod us, whatever it is that we need. Um, God, I pray that you would touch our hearts and move us in the direction that you want us to go. Lord Jesus, we worship you because you uh, have, have acquired the victory. You are on the throne in heaven. Even though you went to death, death couldn't hold you. And we are so grateful for that because we are so grateful that you left our sin and our guilt in the grave when you left. God, help us to live like that is true. We love you. Please hear us as we sing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.